Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Great to hear everyone just singing together. Thanks, Jason and Eve, for, uh, for leading us this morning and just doing so with authenticity. It's awesome. Um, so great. Grateful that we could be here together. Uh, today, if you haven't been with us, we're actually uh, at the tail end. This is week four in a four-week message series entitled The Deep End. And we're talking throughout this series about spiritual maturity and what it means to grow from maybe being new to faith, receiving Jesus, sort of turning your heart to God. And what does it look like to continue to progress towards maturity uh, as far as faith is concerned? And we've been, been using this swimming analogy, which we'll, we'll talk about in just a minute. But I thought that today as we end um, this series, and in week one we looked at a text in Ephesians 4, and I thought it would be appropriate to circle back and um, to take a look at this text again. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the early church, this is nearly 2,000 years ago, and he's writing to the church, and he's explaining to them his heart as an apostle, as a pastor for the congregation, for the people of God, and he says this, he says that he gave, that's speaking of God, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, you could, that could be translated pastors, and teachers. So Paul says God has given leadership and ministry gifts to the church, individuals, titles, whatever you want to say, to the church. And here's, here's what's so important. To do what? Let's all say it together. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, for some of you who've been around church for a while, like I have, uh, when I was a kid growing up, there was this mindset within the church that it was the pastor and the elders or the deacons or depending on the church you went to, some sort of title. Maybe if you went to a more traditional, they had a big hat and a robe on. But you, you, there was somebody and it was like their job is to minister to us, you know, the regular people. We, like, so it's like there's these men or women of God and they're to serve and minister to us. Paul's like, that's not at all the way this is intended to go. That in fact, my job as a pastor here at this church is actually to help equip you to do what? The work of ministry. So ministry is serving and caring for one another, encouraging one another, training one and all of this happens through people. And one of the jobs of the leadership of our church is actually to help you to do the ministry and equip you. And all of this happens so that we can build up the body of Christ. So all of us are part of this body of Christ. And as we do life and faith together, we're being built up because everyone is doing their part. He says this, until we attain to the unity of the faith. So one of the goals, if our church is growing, if we're growing as a congregation, there should be more unity, not less. And the knowledge of the Son of God. All of us should be growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is. I thought I knew who Jesus was when I was a little kid. And then when I was a young man after Bible college, I thought I knew who Jesus was. And now I think I know him better than I did then but I'm still growing to know who he is. So we're growing in the knowledge of the Son of God to what? Mature manhood. So Paul says, what I really want is for everyone to grow from wherever they are, beginning their faith all the way through to mature manhood, adulthood, uh, maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I cannot state this enough. The goal for every person listening to me today is not for you to become more like Nathan. It's just not. It's to become more like Jesus. And there may be some people here that like, I don't really know what it means to become more like Jesus. Well, I would say follow me for a few weeks and we'll open the Bible and we'll discover who Jesus is and I'm going to point you there. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He's like, I, my goal is not to be Paul the great apostle. My goal is to point everyone to Jesus. And that's, that's what we want to do. And the goal is that every person that comes to Pathway Church, whether you're new to faith, whether you're, you know, wherever you are, that you would continue to progress towards becoming more like Jesus. So 
Let me spend a couple minutes just recapping a few things that we've been talking about through this series. Um, I've been sort of giving examples of three stages of development that we find in Scripture. Jesus used the agriculture and a horticulture sort of analogy about seeds. Seeds germinate and come to life in the ground. Then they grow to become a, a strong, complete plant, tree, whatever. The final stage and the stage of maturity for a plant is when it bears fruit, right? There's seed, there's fruit, there's something that good that comes from it. And then John, uh, one of Jesus' uh, disciples, writes to the early church, and he gives us this human growth analogy. He says, I write to you little children in the faith. Did you know that it's possible for somebody to be 40 or 50 years old and to be brand new to the faith, a babe in Christ, like knows nothing about God, knows nothing about what the Bible says. They're just like open and like just, they're like little children in the faith. But, but the goal is that they would progress, that we would progress towards adolescence. And when we use natural adolescence, we know um, when you're a teenager and a young adult, you're growing in strength, you're growing in independence, you're growing in knowledge, you're, you're discovering your gifts, you're becoming strong and independent. Those are the things that happen. And then finally, he says, I write to you fathers, because you know him who's been from the beginning. There's something about spiritual maturity that you know God in a way that you didn't before. And so John gives us this analogy. And so we've been sort of taking all this and talking about the shallow end of the pool, the deep end of the pool, and the lifeguard. So we've been thinking about how in a pool, uh, you have little kids in the shallow end learning how to swim. They're learning the fundamentals of swimming, right? There's a lifeguard, there's a parent helping them with their floaties, learning how to paddle, keeping their head above water. But eventually, once they learn the fundamentals, what happens? They move to the deep end of the pool, and this is where they develop strength, speed, gifts. They're doing whip kicks, backflips. Back they're, you know, they're diving deep and all that stuff. So this is, this is an exciting stage, but it's not the end. And I've said this throughout this series. Many Christians, in my experience, get stuck in the deep end of the pool. They, they just get stuck in like, oh, I'm learning new things about the Bible. Isn't it amazing? And, you know, and, I, and I found my gifting and what's my place and my calling. And it's all about kind of how I can achieve and all stuff. But they never get to the next stage beyond the deep end, which is called the lifeguard. And as, as you know, a lifeguard is somebody who's watching out for the safety of others. A lifeguard is somebody who's teaching others the fundamentals of swimming. A lifeguard is somebody who's primarily going to be recognized for what they give and not what they take. So we get this beautiful analogy in the swimming pool of what spiritual maturity looks like. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but over the series we've sort of been getting kind of deep in on some of these things. This is a kind of a grid that I think is helpful when we think about what it means to be new to faith. These are some of the words that should come to mind for somebody who's a, a, an infant in the faith. They are dependent on others uh, to explain what the Bible means. They uh, maybe have ignorance. They don't know a lot of things and their gifts aren't developed and there's weakness and they're primarily receiving, you know, they're receiving other people's care and, and ministry and all those things. But the goal for wherever you are, if this is where you are, is to move you towards spiritual adolescence. And, and what we've been talking about is how a little kid is dependent, but to become an adolescent, they must become independent. And, and they must be able to stand on their own two feet. They, they must know the, the Word of God, and they must know who they are in Christ, and all of those things. But again, we don't want people just to get there. We want them to move to become dependable, where you can not only care for yourself, but care for others. Infants in the faith, there's a level of ignorance, but then they grow to knowledge. And again, when someone is running around church talking about all the stuff they know and, and all that stuff, it's, it's often a sign of adolescence. But we want everyone to grow to wisdom. And wisdom is when you actually know what to do with all that knowledge, how to apply it at the right time and in the right way. Make sense? 
when we're young, it's, it's, uh, we're, our gifts and everything are undeveloped. But in the adolescent stage, we develop our gifts. And I want this church to be a place where you can discover what your gifts are and how you can serve and help others using your gifts. But eventually, if you go to maturity, you're going to start to say, how can I develop the gifts of others? How can I strengthen others? We move from weakness to strength. Strength isn't the end goal. Meekness is. And meekness is strength under control. So being able to use your strength at the right time and in the right way. We move from receiving, what can this church do for me? To achieving, what can I do to help others? What can I, what can I achieve? How can I use my gifts? And then finally, it becomes about others. Lastly, um, when you're beginning your faith journey, it's all about this, what Christ has done for you. Can I tell you something? If you're at the beginning of your faith journey, what you need to know, God loves you. He's created you. He has a plan in mind for you. He's forgiven you. He's given you everything. He gives his spirit to you, fills you with his spirit. You're like, man, that's amazing because that's what you need. And that's the foundation of your faith. It's the foundation of all our faith. But you can't stop there. You have to then discover who you are in Christ, what he says about you, what you're able to do, and all of those things. And so as you begin to exercise your strength in your faith, eventually Jesus invites his disciples to what? Take up their cross and follow him. The end of the journey, it's like God loves you and he does everything for you. But at the end, he's like, Take up your cross and die for me and for others. So this is the progression, okay, towards spiritual maturity. And so again, we've been using this pool analogy, right? The goal, get people moving in that direction. We want to have a church full of people in the shallow end who are learning about Jesus for the first time. We want to have a church full of people in the deep end who are discovering their gifts, becoming independent and strong in their faith. But in order for those two things to happen, we also need people leaving the deep end and entering into the lifeguard chair. And that's essentially uh, what I want to talk a little bit about today. Um, as I think about our church, and I, th I think about, we, we've been seeing this progression happening. One of the things that I think that happens a lot in churches is that people get stuck in the deep end, and they don't progress to spiritual maturity, and they don't uh, begin to take on the care of others. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, you may be wondering, this is a great question, how, how are we going to do this? So we've been talking about, you know, shallow end, deep end, lifeguard. How are we going to do this? You know, um, I was thinking about this week when, uh, when my son, uh, my younger son, was a little kid. We took him out to hockey tryouts. He was playing house league. And then uh, we went to these tryouts, and he was selected for a development team, you know, as kind of introduction to rep hockey. And... My wife, Jessica, and I had no idea because we didn't have other kids in hockey, so we didn't know about the hockey subculture. And there's a hockey subculture. It's like, this is our ticket to the NHL, and everyone's really intense about it, right? And we're like, oh, look at all these nice parents. We didn't know that the whole goal was to go to tournaments and sit in the hall and get drunk while the kids are sleeping. Anyway, there's all this fun stuff. that We didn't know anything. We didn't know the cost. We didn't know how many nights a week. We didn't know about the power skating. We didn't know about the tournaments. So we're just like, parents were like excited for our kid to have this opportunity, but we had no idea what was coming next. And we're talking to other parents, and they're like, oh, we're going to go to a tournament in Detroit. We're like, what? And they're like, we're going to do this and this. And, and there's fundraising. And, and I remember my wife and I sat down, like, what have we got ourselves into? Thankfully, the coaches had a preseason meeting. And in the preseason meeting, the coaches basically said, here's, here's the schedule. Here's the tournaments. Here are the costs. We gulped. We swallowed. <laughs> we, we paid it. It didn't matter. Uh, but... But you, do you know what I'm saying? They laid out the season. They said, these are the expectations for your child. These are the expectations for you. And I thought that was really, really helpful because it framed the expectation, right? How many, how many think that's important and helpful? Yeah, to have the expectation framed. And so in a sense, what I, what I wanted to do today with, the, with the little bit of time we have 
um, as we close up this series is, is to really have a little bit of a team meeting with our church family. I want to talk about um, this invitation for all of us to take a step to the next level. And with that step comes some expectations and some things. And it's just an important conversation for us to have. So I wanted to, I wanted to be able to have a little bit about that. So again, the goal is that we're moving everybody in this direction from the shallow end to the deep end and beyond. But how do we do it? Um, the goal for us is essentially to make disciples, to have people grow in their faith and to continue to take their next steps. Here's the thing I've discovered. The only way that happens is if we're in relationship and community. Like we need other people around. And, and so as I was thinking about the church and I was thinking about how we help people take these next steps, it, it, it brought up a problem in my mind. And this isn't a new problem. You've all discovered it. It's impossible for a few people to care for a large number of people. True? I've seen teachers, God bless all the teachers, uh, with, you know, a classroom full of grade fives, 30 of them, and the teachers are pulling their hair out because it's a lot of hard work to keep keep 30 kids. But, like, they don't have to raise all those kids. That's just a a portion of the day, right? So can you imagine having 30 grade fives of your own to care for? You wouldn't make it. And and the younger they are, the more attention they need. So if you have toddlers, like two-year-olds, there's a ratio of, like, five to one, four to one, something like that in nursery schools. You, you can't have one adult trying to care for 30 or 40 toddlers. <laughs> That's the definition of hell, uh, essentially. Because, you, yeah. So the point is, is that like in order to really care for people, especially no matter where they are in their journey, there needs to be people caring for them. And it's impossible for a few people to care for a large number of people. Case in point, many churches that I've been part of throughout my own life uh, a pastor or a few people on staff tried to care for 100, 150, 200 people, and it never works because you can't know 100 people deeply. You can't do life with 100 people. You can't coach, care for, and pray for 100 people. I've tried, okay? It doesn't work. So this is a problem that you, it's impossible for a few people to care for a large number of people. It's not a new problem. In Exodus 18, there's this story, which I love as a leader, because uh, Moses has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt He's received the law of God, and they've got something, uh, scholars estimate, around 2 million Israelites, okay, under Moses' direction. And Moses' father-in-law actually shows up for a visit, kind of checking out how how Moses is doing. And his father-in-law says to Moses, what you're doing is not good. What was Moses doing? Moses would get up in the morning, and, and the sun was coming up, and he would sit down in his chair, and there would be a line of people of Israel, and they would be coming to him going, we got a problem. We don't know what to do about this. We need you to instruct us. We need you to pass judgment. And so Moses is like, decision, decision, decision. And he does this all day until sundown. So sun up to sundown. And at the end of the day, the line is bigger than it was in the morning. It's kind of like trying to get a passport in Canada right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's low. Um, And his father, Jethro, says, what you're doing is not good. Why? You're trying to do it all yourself. And he says, this isn't the way to do it. He goes on to say this, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourself out. He says, not only is it bad for you, Moses, to try to do everything yourself, to try to lead and care for all these people yourself, it's going to wear you and the people out. It's not good for you or them. He continues by saying this, the thing you're doing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. So we get the problem, right? few handful of people can't do everything. So he actually suggests the solution to the problem, which is to create a leadership structure that balances the load of ministry. And if you read the rest of the text, 
Jethro says, here's what you need to do. You need to have uh, every 10 Israelites, you got 2 million of them, break them down into circles of 10 and every 10 people will have a leader. And then that leader, a bunch of those leaders will have a coach and a bunch of those leaders will have a coach and a coach and it eventually creates an organization structure that only the most difficult things get back to Moses. So you have a pyramid and I use that word purposely because it makes everyone nervous, <laughs> right? Because we've all heard of pyramid schemes. We've all heard of pyramid schemes. We all know the in- inherent dangers of the pyramid of power, right? When, when, like, when there's this huge group. By the way, our country is organized like this. Businesses are organized like this. Churches are organized like this. Even families. This actually kind of looks like a family tree. Just flip it upside down. So this is, this is the way of the world. Like Things have to be organized and structured. And so you got this, this, this pyramid. And he says, listen, if you have people to care for every 10 people, and those people are being cared for by coach, and those coaches are being cared for by coach, and all the way up, and you can actually care for everyone, and everyone can be in a small circle, and everyone can be heard and developed, and it's not all on you. Does that make sense? Okay. So again, when we see this, this pyramid, when we see this power structure, we, we, we get nervous, and rightfully so, because whenever there's a, an organization, a large organization, there's always corruption. True? There's always somebody in here abusing power and doing things they shouldn't, and so that's, of course, a, a big problem, and it makes us nervous for obvious reasons. I want to show you what Jesus does with this org chart, okay? Because um, in Mark's gospel... In chapter 9, verse 33, Jesus and his disciples are walking to Capernaum. And when he gets into the house, he asks them, he says, what were you discussing on the way? And he knew his disciples were having an argument, okay? And it says they kept silent. This is my kids. I'm like, hey, what are you guys fighting about? And they're like, oh, nothing. Okay. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So Jesus is far enough away, and they're like, well, you know, <clears throat> I'm Peter, and so I should be in charge. I should be Jesus' right hand. John's like, actually, no, you know, you've, you've, you, you, you always talk too fast, and you're mouthing off all the time. I should be, and so they're arguing. They're having this discussion about who's the greatest. They're literally trying to figure out who's going to be at the top of Jesus' org chart. That's what they're doing. Let me ask you a question. This is kind of fun. Uh, for those of you that have been here for the last uh, three weeks, how many of you could guess which stage of spiritual development the disciples are at at this point in their ministry based on what we've been talking about. Go ahead and shout it out if you think you know. The deep end. I hear deep end and adolescent, which are the same thing, and you'd be right. This is my little clue, right? So the disciples are fighting about who's the strongest, who's the greatest, who's going to be able to achieve the most. It's natural. They're trying to climb the ladder. They're in a race to the top of the pile, to the top of power, to the top of influence. When I was a kid, we, we used to, there would be a big snow mound on the recess. We used to actually be able to do stuff like this in school. Um, and we would play King of the Hill. And one of us would get on the top and everyone would be trying to take that person down. And you'd just be like, you got the high ground, you're pushing them down. They're, they're biting your legs. You know, this is all going on. Now they're not allowed to touch each other or the snow. Um, I don't know what's going on. Anyways, it's a race to the top, right? You're trying to, you're trying to get, you're trying to, get to the, the top, trying to be important, trying to be powerful. This is not what Jesus had in mind. Even though Jesus himself structured his ministry like this. People don't think about this, but Jesus had three disciples that were closest to him, Peter, James, and John. And then beyond the three, he had 12 that were his closest disciples that did almost everything with him. 
And then people forget he also had 70 or 72 disciples. So he's got three and then 12 and then 70. And then he had all his other ministry supporters and friends like Mary and Martha and the rest. And then beyond that, there were the multitudes. So Jesus had this as well, levels of influence, circles within his own ministry. But Jesus is going to, his his disciples are all fighting for power. They're fighting to get to the top. And Jesus sits them down. I love this. Come here, boys. He sits the disciples and he says to them, if anyone would be first. Let's stop for a second. Hey, Peter, James, John, you guys want to be first in the kingdom of God? Yes, we do. Do you want to have impact on eternity? Do you want to shake the gates of hell and save people's lives and heal the sick? And they're like, yes, 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 pick me. Jesus is like, if anyone would be first, like, I'm going to tell you how to do it. He must be last of all and servant of all. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew's gospel, he says, the godless Gentiles, people who don't know God, the way they do it is they pursue positions of power and they lord it over and they use and exercise their authority for their own gain and advantage. And he says, not so among you, because he had something else in mind for them to be servants of all. Jesus essentially is going to take the org chart and he's going to flip it upside down. And instead of it being a race to the top, he invites his disciples and us into a race to the bottom. What can I give? How can I serve? How can I, how can I humble myself and go down so that I can lift someone else up? It's the exact opposite to the way the world works. There's still an organization and structure, but when Jesus would ascend to heaven, he would leave his disciples and they would be holding the church up and leading with the same example that Jesus led with. Jesus would not only give his life, he would not only go to the cross to die for us, to build the church, but the night that he was betrayed, he was going to have communion with his disciples. And many of you know this. Jesus brings the disciples into the room and he takes off his outer garment. And he gets down on his hands and his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, which is something a servant would do. And the disciples are like, Jesus, you shouldn't be washing our feet. We're your, we're your disciples. We should be washing. And he says, no, I'm demonstrating for you what leadership looks like in my kingdom. I'm going down to lift you up so that you can go down and lift someone else up. Is this making sense? So this is, this is what Jesus had in mind for the church. We have to have structure, we have to have leaders, we have to have organization, but the mindset and the heart behind it is different. We're not racing to the top, we're racing to the bottom. So what I want to do is I want to talk about a few strategic things for our church. Kind of like that hockey meeting. This is going to be a, a few minutes of business meeting, but before I talk about what our church needs and what we hope for, for the various people of our church, I have two things I need you to know. This is really important. Number one, church is not the only place you grow spiritually. It's really important for you to know this. I think that Sunday and youth group and small group, those are key places where you will be challenged to grow spiritually, and that's a big part of your spiritual journey, but it's not the only. Like when I go home from church, I'm going to have interactions with my wife and my kids, and that's part of my spiritual development. When I go to work, I'm going to have interactions with other people, and all of that's part of my development. Friendship family, serving in other organizations. So church isn't everything, but I believe, obviously I'm a pastor. I think this is pretty important, but it's not everything. So some of you are going to be like, pastor, you're talking about doing more here, but I'm doing more elsewhere. That's cool. It's not what I'm talking about. I just want to make this really clear. Church is not the only place, but I will say this. You will not grow spiritually alone. Because if spiritual maturity is all about caring for, loving one another, sacrificing for others. You can't do that without others. You can't sit in 
a monastery by yourself, with, you'll learn lots of Bible verses, but you won't learn how to love because that requires people that rub you the wrong way. <laughs> so you, you have to, you, you can't, like people are like, oh, you know, I'm just, my personal relationship with Jesus is really good. Like my relationship with God is great. It's like, really? That's amazing. What are you doing for others? Well, nothing. It's like, okay, your knowledge of God is really great, but you're going to have to actually do some stuff because, you know, there's a difference between knowing things about parenting and being a parent, okay? When I was a teenager, I worked at a ranch and like I counseled kids and I thought, man, I'm an expert parent. I know exactly what to do when kids are bad and I know how to, and then I had my own kids. And that's a totally different thing. It's not the same at all. Watching someone else's kids is way easier. I highly advise you do that. <laughs> um, but there's a difference, right? There's a difference. So so church is not the only place you grow spiritually, but I believe it's a, a key place for us to grow spiritually. Secondly, we must, this is so important, assess our capacity with the help of trusted voices. In just a minute, I'm going to invite people, I'm going to put a call out to say, hey, what's your next step? Will you take your next step? What I don't want is, is everyone being like, yes, we'll jump in the deep end. The, the point is that we need trusted voices in our lives, all of us, including me. The older I get and the, and the more I learn, the more I know I need voices in my life that help me. There have been times in my life where I looked at some, a situation I thought, there's no way I can do that. I can't get through this. And someone came alongside me and said, yes, you can. I believe in you. Yeah, but what if I fail? Then if you fail, I'll be here to help pick you up. It's like, okay. But I'm still scared. Yeah, you got this. God, God is, is with you. You can do that. And they've encouraged me to take that step that I was unwilling to take. Anybody else here been encouraged that way? Okay, a few hands. Yeah. When you're a little kid, you're like, oh, I can't swim without my water wings. And somebody's like, yes, you can. I'm right here. And if you start to sink, I'm going to pull you right back up. Who didn't advance? Because somebody did that for you, right? So we need people. But then here's the other thing. Sometimes we need people to hold us back. Have you ever seen the kid that's like, I can swim. And they run and jump into the deep end with no floaties and just sink like a stone. And what they need is someone going, no, you're not ready. And holding them back and making sure they develop. So this is true as a church. I don't want to be that pastor that asks everybody to jump into the deep end or beyond and they're not ready. We want to have conversations and we want you to, so you need trusted voices in your life. So this is making sense. We all need trusted voices. And the more mature you get, both naturally and spiritually, the more you will recognize that voices are important in your life. People that you trust to give you perspective. I, I cannot, that'll be a whole nother message series. We're not going to talk about that. I want to talk about uh, three levels of engagement that over the years I have uh, discussed with our church. So you're here, let's talk about it. Number one, this is the, the, the first, this is the shallow end of the pool for our church. It's called a tender. And we, over the years we've had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people attend. We love it. We have many people in our church and there are some people who just attend um, and Again, this is what we want. We actually set up our services and our space so that people could come and feel comfortable and listen and learn about Jesus. Isn't that great? We want people to attend. You with me? We want to have chairs available for people to come in and sit down, to hear about Jesus, to put their kids in a program, and that's great, but we don't want people to stay there. I started in church this way. In fact, all of us started. Like when I was a little kid, I went to church with my parents and someone cut up snack for me. And they taught me the Bible using a flannel graph where they put these like little images of disciples and they would always fall off. It was, it was really fun. And so I attended church and people invested in me, but eventually, as a teenager, I started to serve and I started to help and contribute. And that's really the second stage, which by the way is, is equivalent to, in many ways, the spiritual adolescence. Like you begin to develop your gifts and serve and do things. 
and, and there is a lot of different levels of contribution in the church. You can volunteer. You can volunteer once a month, every other week, every week. You can do all kinds of different things. You can contribute by praying. You can contribute by serving in off hours. You can contribute by giving and donating. A lot of people don't realize our entire ministry, all our staff, all our missions, our building fund, all of that stuff is basically free will gifts from people that go, I want to support what God's doing through this church. That's, that's how this whole thing runs. Like there's no taxes, there's no fees. When I went to, went to hockey, there were some fees. And if you didn't pay, you're out. That's not like that. It's not like that here. People willingly give. So that's amazing. So maybe if you're, if you're here and you're part of this church and you're like, hey, I'm just a tender. I'm just, that's great. But we don't want you to stay there. Eventually, what we want you to do is to grow and to begin to contribute something. And as you're able to contribute more, this is, this is not just for us. This is the thing. I, I should have said this in the first service. This is not just for us. Like, when my wife and I ask our kids to contribute something back to the family, yes, it helps us, but it's really about helping them. Because as they learn to contribute and share and give and contribute, it actually develops their generosity and their maturity. So attend, contribute, and the final stage uh, is, th this is something we haven't talked a lot about, and so I want to take a few minutes to outline this. One of our goals for the fall season is to do some leadership development, to develop some, what I'm going to call group leaders and coaches. And so if we look at our org chart, right, we got, we got all these people who attend the church. And my hope would be that every 10 people who attend our church would have a group leader, someone who's caring for them. Imagine if we had 500 people attending our church, we would need 50 group leaders. And if each of those group leaders had those 10 people that they could check in and pray for, call, make sure they're doing okay, Everyone would receive care and love. And here's the other thing. As much as I would love to be able to provide direction for everyone in our church, like, hey, how are you doing with your faith? Here's your next step, coach, encourage. I can't do that for everybody. And neither can Todd and Andrew and our elders. So we need a whole team right here of group leaders. And so in some of our, so for example, in our children's department, we actually have small group leaders. And those leaders have a group of kids that they minister to every other week. In our youth group, we have group leaders that actually have a group of teens, and they'll often stay with them for multiple years, encouraging them, coaching them, discipling them. And then we have small group leaders that lead small groups. And then we have team leads that lead like setup teams and teardown teams and volunteer teams of various kinds. And what my hope to do in this fall is to actually begin to develop more people at the group leader level so that everyone in our church can be in a circle. We've said this for years, circles are better than rows. There's something about being in a circle of 10 people where you're known and loved that you can't get in a big room like this. As much as this is important, it's not everything. We need to be known. So the goal is to increase the number of people at that level. Now, in order for us to increase the number of group leaders and coaches in our church, um, people are going to have to step out of their comfort zone, get out of the deep end, and into the lifeguard chair. That, that's essentially what has to happen. And, and I'll tell you, <laughs> we grow... When we are stretched, this is really important, a little beyond our capacity, limits, and comfort. Do you know what happens when you stretch a lot beyond your capacity, limits, and comfort? Yeah, something starts snapping and tearing. <laughs> I'm learning about that as I get older. Got to be careful, okay? A little bit at a time. But it's easy to be like, that's uncomfortable for me. I'm comfortable where I am and not to do anything. But what we want to do is create a culture in our church where we're stretching people so that we're growing together. And the more people we have exiting the deep end and into the lifeguard chairs means the more people we can bring to faith, coach, encourage through the adolescent stage. 
the goal is to keep everything moving forward, including uh, for you. So the levels of engagement, a tender, contributor, group leader. This is somebody who cares for 10 people, and a coach is just the tier above that's caring for 10 group leaders. And imagine what would happen if every person in this church, including our children and teens, had somebody who was reaching out and checking in, praying for them, caring for them, knowing them personally. I just, it's a beautiful vision, and I know it's not going to be like tomorrow we're going to have everything in place, but this is something we're going to be talking more about in the fall as we progress because, again, I don't want to just have a bigger church. I don't want to just have a church with a facility, which we're working on. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. I want to be a church that's healthy. I want to be a church where every person, whether they're new to faith, whether they're in the adolescent stage or growing to maturity, that all of us are progressing towards the likeness of Jesus, that we're all making space for others, that we're not just climbing to the top, but we're actually in a race to the bottom to serve and care for one another. That's a culture that, that I would love to see created. You know, just like the, the hockey culture was a thing, I think church culture is a thing. And I've been in a lot of churches where there's a culture where people are clamoring for the top and pushing each other the way. I want to be a church where we are racing to the bottom, to love and serve, to care for one another. The, the goal for us is that everyone would be known, cared for, and discipled. And in order to do that, we need more group leaders and coaches. Here's how it's going to happen. Um, as we progress towards the fall, our staff and our elders and different conversations, we're, going to be, we're looking for constantly people who are developing in their faith and are ready to take that next level to a group leader or a coach. And there's going to be some taps on the shoulder being like, hey, can we have a conversation? I really see something in you. I really believe that you have the ability to care for others and you're at the place where you could do this. What do you think? And there'll be some conversations happening. Again, my goal in all of this is to create a, a culture and a place in our church where people can grow I think one of the reasons why a lot of people get stuck in the deep end um, and don't move on to caring for others is because it's easy. And I think the church sometimes has, um, has oversold the Christian faith. Come follow Jesus, live your best life now. Well, yes, but they sometimes don't tell us that your best life is the one that's dead and buried with Christ. And I know as a, as a parent in the natural and a parent in the spiritual, I can tell you that it's the sacrifices and the things, the losses that I've suffered that connect me closest to Christ. Because when I find myself going down to lift others up, it's when I find myself closest to the one who went all the way to the bottom to lift us all up. And, and so I, I love this. After Jesus tells his disciples he's going to flip the script and you're going to be servant of all, he, he takes a little kid, which in that culture... You know, we, we, our, our culture today worships kids. Kids are the best. Kids are celebrated. In that culture, they were like, eh, we'll see. And he takes this little child and he puts him in the midst of these men and he takes him in his arms in a loving embrace. And he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus essentially says... <laughs> When you step up to serve others and care for others and you take on 10 people to coach and mentor them as a group leader, he's like, you're not doing it for them, although they're going to benefit. You're not doing it for yourself, even though you're going to benefit and grow. You're doing it for me. And what you do for those, you do for me. 
So again, I'm here. I'm saying we are going to be starting conversations. Just to invite people into this level of leadership. We're going to have conversations about it, kind of throwing it out there. Um, really, really important that I don't oversell it. This is going to be amazing. Do this. Gonna... No, it's going to it's going to cost you something. It's going to be hard. It is. This is why we're doing it. Because people matter. And I hope, I hope you're with me. I hope you understand that our goal is to create a space for others to come to Christ and to begin their journey. And we grow by helping them grow. Once you've splashed around the deep end for a few years, it's probably good to get in the shallow end and teach a little kid how to swim. Make sense? So let me pray. And I'm sure um, this, this message series, this deep end analogy, three stages of spiritual development, I'm going to keep coming back to this in the fall. I probably had 10 or 12 sermons that I didn't get to. Like there's all this stuff that could connect to it. We'll get there eventually. Uh, but for now, uh, yeah, I just, wherever you're at, if you're just attending today, we're so glad you're here. We really are. That's why we created this space. That's why people gave to pay the rent, the lights, so that we could be here and you could. But our goal for you is that over time, you would begin to contribute. And then those who are contributing over time, you begin to lead and care for others and, and we grow together. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for every person listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you for, for 12 years of ministry here. And it's been an honor for me as a pastor to watch so many incredible people grow in their faith. Some brand new, getting baptized, and now they're leading and serving and giving. And it's encouraging to watch as people grow in their faith. Lord, help us to be a, a church, a place that has a culture where we're not racing for the top, we're racing for the bottom, to lift others up, to serve and to give that we might be like you, our Lord and Savior. Give us the strength. <laughs> Lead us by your Spirit to be that kind of church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. It's been great. Todd's going to come up and just share a couple uh, important closing announcements, and uh, I think that's it.